this morning has not been scripted by us. It's been scripted by God. You're going to hear some repeats on topics. Still got some echo there. Not sure what's going on this morning. Today is the, this is the final week of our sermon series on suffering and God's sovereignty. Over the last four weeks, we looked at the life of Joseph, which contained plenty of suffering. But we also saw that God was with Joseph, and God, in his sovereign control, used Joseph to accomplish amazing good. And Joseph's life wasn't all bad or hard. God gave him a wife and children, and, God, and Joseph was restored to his family. You can summarize Joseph's outlook on his life with our verse, and we only have one verse to read together this morning for today, where Joseph spoke to his brothers. So remain seated, and let's read together from the screen, Genesis 50, verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So God was working his sovereign plan, and God gave Joseph the eyes to see part of that plan. How God was using Joseph to provide for the entire nation of Egypt and for his family. Now, we look back at that through history, through the New Testament, through the rest of the Old Testament, and we see God was also doing something else. He was laying the foundation, preparing the way, making a nation out of Abraham from which was going to come the Messiah. God also enabled Joseph to forgive his brothers because his forgiveness is not natural, what he did. Well, let's take a minute and look again at what it means that God is sovereign. In our first sermon, we saw from Westminster Confession of Faith, which is like a topical um, collection of thoughts from Scripture, chapter 3, paragraph 1, God from all eternity did, by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatever comes to pass. Now, in that first Sunday, we unpacked that, this idea that God freely and unchangeably ordains whatever comes to pass. But I'd like to explain it in a little different way today, using a quote from a devotional that I read recently. There is no panic in heaven. God is never anxious. There is no confusion in the Trinity. God never wrings his hands and wishes he had made a better choice. God never worries about what is going to happen next. He doesn't stress over how things are going to turn out. God is never surprised. He is never in a situation that overwhelms him. God never feels needy or unprepared. God never fails at a task. God is all-powerful. And then in this last sentence, it shifts to talk about God's character. God is absolutely perfect in every way. He is faithful to every word, sovereign over all that is. God is the definition of love, and he is righteous, just, tender, and patient. Now, this talk about God's character at the end is very important because in some religions, the God is very powerful, but he's not necessarily good. But God is not only all-powerful, 
But God is good and wise. He is perfectly good and wise. Another point for us to consider with God's sovereignty is what is his purpose? What is his agenda? What's the agenda of the sovereign God? Well, as we read the Bible, we see that God's purposes, in addition to his glory, which we don't actually talk about a lot, and building a spiritual family, which God does talk a lot about in the Bible, includes our change. We read in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 15, And he, referring to Jesus, died for all. Now, here in this verse, the context of the, of the letter in this verse is a letter being written to Christians in a, in a city. And this all refers to all the people that God adopts into his family. So Jesus died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but live for him who for their sake died and was raised. So here Paul is saying for Christians, we are told Jesus died for us. That's part of the good news. It's also part of the ugly that he had to die for us. But he died for us and rose again. And it's the second part I want you to catch. He's working in us so that we no longer live for ourselves, but live for Jesus. So you see from the verse, in contrast to God's plan, our plan, our default that we're born with, our attitude and plan is to live for ourselves. The nature that we're all born with is constantly pulling on us to live for ourselves. Or as one writer put it, to build a kingdom of one. That's a pretty small kingdom. So you can tell from this that Jesus did not come to make our plans for our lives work. He came to bring us into his kingdom. You see, when you and I live for ourselves, we're focusing on our satisfaction, our comfort, and our reputation. And in this mode, it's kind of a default, that we're going to try to encourage or if we need to coerce other people to help us get what we want to satisfy ourselves. And on the flip side, we're going to punish people that interfere with our satisfaction or do not help us. And you know what? We don't think about it. Oh, I need to coerce you, Joyce, to help me get what I want. It's just natural. It just comes right out in the way that we speak. And the same thing with the punishment. It's just right there. I'm going to make you hurt. I'm going to make you uncomfortable because you're not helping me. So think about it. Without God working in the world, we would be billions of people each trying to build a kingdom of one. Billions of people coercing and punishing each other. Now that's a mess. And that's part of what God has saved us from. So God's agenda for his children is change. To change us, as it says in the verse, from living for ourselves to living for Jesus to becoming like Jesus. And remember, Jesus is giving and he's others focused. So with this as the background, let's consider our topic today, the comfort and confusion of God's sovereignty. And Jesse, I did not pick it because it was alliterative. It just happens to be. So let's first look at the confusion part. The confusion of God's sovereignty. We saw last week that Joseph's brothers were unsettled several times. Well, God unsettles all of us. Hence, you get the idea of confusion. 
So let me mention four ways that God unsettles us today. First, COVID-19. God has used COVID-19 to unsettle the entire world. And it looks like it's going to be with us for a good while. This little bug that we cannot even see has affected jobs and school and church and entertainment. It has affected pretty much every area of everyday life. Social distancing wasn't even a thing until COVID came. Some people have lost their jobs. Many people are working from home. But because most schools are still closed, many parents are working from home and supervising their children as they do school remotely. One of the big things that we've seen with COVID is isolation. It's a big problem. And then there are the inconveniences for the first world, like the fact that restaurants are just now beginning to reopen for anything other than carryout. And what used to take a few hours at DMV now takes a month or more because you have to schedule an appointment because you can't just go and wait for four hours to get your business done. You have to carry a mask with you wherever you go when you leave home. And consider this, at least in Virginia, up until March, to wear a mask out in public was against the law. And now it's required. COVID is serious. As Paul was saying, thousands have died. Tens of thousands of people have died. Now, there have been plenty of other epidemics where even more have died. So this is not unique in that sense, but it shows us how serious that it is. And then it just keeps shifting and moving. It, looks, it might look like for a week or two that the number of cases are getting better, and so you're hoping, oh, some of the restrictions are going to get reduced, and then there's a resurgence, and you're still where you are. Or, in some places, more restrictions than you had previously going on. Now, how do people respond? Some people have responded to this in anger. Others have responded with fear or depression. More could be said, but let's look at our next one. We're just kind of wallowing here in different difficulties. The election and politics. Politics, like so many other things today, have become so divisive. You know, at one time, we talked, at least in theory, that elected government service was all about service. Not really anymore. No. Tribalism has re-emerged in the world, and I have not changed topics. I haven't changed topics. We've had tribalism ever since, as soon as we had more than just two or three people. Tribalism is the idea that my group is better than your group. And my group should be the one to tell everybody else what to do. You get the idea of what's going on. Now, this group can be based on politics, ideologies, religion, ethnicity. You pick it. It can be anything. All kinds of stuff. I remember my dad telling me a true story. He was a um, pastor in, in Louisiana that a church split because they disagreed on which side the piano ought to go on, on this side or this side. And you know what? It was, it was tribalism. It was, well, of course I'm right. It ought to go here. And the other group was, well, no, no, no. You're wrong. It has to go there. We divide like this. And so you see tri this tribalism in all different kinds of ways, but you certainly see it in the politics. And so politics today is much more about power and control. We don't really have debates anymore on issues. 
whether it's presidential candidates or legislatures or e even and especially personal conversations. It's more about attacking the other group and making sure that I win right now. Then, as citizens, today too often we put too much hope on our party winning, whichever party that is. We forget what Jesus said. He didn't trust people because he knows us. So what's going on in politics isn't good whether your party or candidates win or lose. We're in a mess. Third, changes in our culture. Our society is moving away from its traditional foundation more and more rapidly. Though people may argue whether the United States ever was a Christian nation, there is no doubt that many of the elements of our society and government and things were informed and shaped by biblical principles. Yet today, in our courts, in our government, in business, in politics, entertainment, even in religion, we are moving further and further away from that foundation. Extreme individualism is growing in many forms. The intact family, that is a family with a father and a mother and children, is becoming more rare. Now, I'm not trying to depress you, but that's, this is what's happening. This is what is. And then very briefly, the fourth, personal challenges. All of us have personal challenges that we wish we did not have. It could be sickness or injury for yourself or someone else that you know. It could be family issues. We're coming into Thanksgiving and Christmas. Holidays are very difficult times for many families. They're not happy times. They're hard. It could be your job situation, your retirement. There's any number of things. But what God tells us is that he is sovereign over all of these areas, over all of life. As R.C. Sproul used to say, if you want to know God's will, look at what happened yesterday. Well, now it's easy for us to look at these things, especially when I, you go through a list like I just did, all the, the hard things, the difficult things, because they are all unsettling, and to wonder first what God is doing, and if we're honest, sometimes wonder if God is good, because it seems to be so uncomfortable, especially when we're affected by these things. Well, remember what I said earlier, all of us need to be unsettled. Remember what our, the nature is that, that we're born with. It's, it's one that makes life all about us. We become those little kingdoms of one, coercing and fighting and punishing. Now, another point to consider before we move on is this. In themselves, these four areas I just mentioned do not determine our actions or our responses. They're the situation we're in. You see, most of us, all of us actually, we, we respond more to our interpretation of the situation than we do the facts. Let me give you two examples. We looked at the life of Joseph. Joseph could easily have responded to his slavery and imprisonment with anger or bitterness or depression. Easily could have. In fact, it would have been natural for him to respond in those ways. But we have no indication at all that he did. No, instead, he was trusting God and he forgave his brothers, neither of which is natural to us to do that. And then what about today? COVID. Take the, one of those examples. Some people see COVID as an opportunity to serve. 
Others respond to COVID in anger or fear. So three different responses, serve, anger, or fear, exact same circumstance. What's the difference? It's our interpretation that's usually driven by our desires. We're unsettled by these things and other things. We're confused because we don't understand all that God is doing. And often, if we're honest, we're upset because of our inability to control what is going on. And we're born wanting to control what's going on. We're born that way. Okay, so that's a little bit about confusion, about God's sovereignty. Is there any comfort in God's sovereignty? And the answer is absolutely yes. In fact, you can take it one step further. There is no lasting true comfort found anywhere else other than God's sovereignty. You see, if you and I are trying to find comfort in our circumstances, we might get it occasionally, but it's not going to last. Because things keep popping up. It's like, um, oh gee, what was his name? Just in, in the movie, The Incredibles, Mr. Incredible. You know? Can't things just stay clean? I fix them and then they mess up again. And we kind of feel like that. You know, it's like whack-a-mole trying to deal with all the problems. One pops up, you deal with it, another one pops up. Can't we just, can't these things stay nice for a while? We live in a broken world, so it doesn't. So you can't find real comfort in your circumstances. But you can in God. God is the creator of all that exists, and he's in control, and, this is very important, God is good. He's wiser and stronger than we are. And he, God, is the only one that can rescue us from us, from ourselves, from our self, sinful selfishness. This is, let's look at what we're told in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit himself intercedes for us. The Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So what we see here is that God helps us. God, God's spirit intercedes for us. It means God is for us. God works, this is a promise, that he works all things together for good, for our good, for our ultimate eternal good. Notice he didn't say for our comfort. We wish it said for our comfort, but it doesn't. And then in the last part, we see that God's reminding us of his agenda again. He's, God is working to make us more like Jesus, to change us. So there's great comfort in God's sovereignty. How should you and I respond? Again, we're just touching on a few things here, but I want to suggest four things. First, trust God. Now, let me say this. To trust God takes constant effort and it is not natural to us. No, what is natural to us is to doubt God, to be afraid, to worry, to get angry when we have problems and difficulties and change. Remember, we live in a broken world. So choose to trust God. 
then remind yourself you've made that choice. Go back and look in Genesis 3. What was the very first temptation? It was to doubt God and to doubt God's goodness. And remember God's other, another promise among many that he gives. That God says what he starts, he will complete. In you and in me and in the world, what he's doing. Secondly, sometimes we respond to difficulties, or, or, okay, God, fine. You want to be sovereign? Great. Okay, you know what? I'm just, gonna, I'm just not going to do anything. You take care of everything else. God says, no, I've called you to live. To, this is a whole other topic. He's called us to be ambassadors. He's called us to be his children. He's called us to enjoy him, but then also to listen to him and follow him. And in the living life, he calls us as we live life, make plans. But as we make our plans, hold them loosely. The other option is to close your fist on it and say, I'm going to get what I want. Whether it's the good grade on the test, the car, the house, whatever it is, I'm going to get what I want. Hold it loosely. And remember that when things interrupt our plans, God isn't surprised. He's not worried. He's going to use that because that's part of his plan that he already had set up before we were ever born. Third, daily embrace your need for God. I remember hearing another pastor uh, say one time that he had made it, he was working to make it a practice that every morning as he woke up before he got out of bed and his feet touched the floor, he would pray and say, God, I need your help. And secondly, give me eyes to see your help, to recognize it. Because sometimes God offer, is offering help and we don't see it for what it is. And remember this, God does not love us any less because we're needy. God knew, knew that we were needy when he chose to love us. But you can go even one step further. God made us needy. He made us to need him and to need each other. And that wasn't a mistake on his part. Embrace your need for God. And then finally, change the way you pray. Now, I don't know exactly how you pray, but I can tell you how I used to pray. I tried to be religious. Tried to be respectful. But I would tend to just go to God with a laundry list of here are the things I want you to do, God. And what I didn't realize not consciously, as I was saying, God, here's the laundry list of all the things I want you to do to make my plan work. And there's nothing wrong at all with going to God and asking for things because didn't he make us needy? Yes, he did. Okay, so we need to be going to God, talking to him about things we need and desire. But let me encourage you to do this. Make a conscious choice to take more time in your prayer to thank God and to praise God and to ask God to align you with his will and his plan. Then you can talk to him about the things you need. Actually, if you look at the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, God, Jesus begins, Our Father who is in heaven. That's a recognition that God is one true God. 
that he's there, that he's great and powerful. Hallowed be your name, thanking and praising God for who he, not just for what he does, but for who he is. Then he gets to your kingdom come, your will be done. And it's only after those three things that he gets to give us this, this day our daily bread, give us the things we need. So it isn't that we don't ask for anything at all, but that should not be the only thing or the primary thing in our prayer. We should be seeing those other parts, honoring God, thanking God, delighting in Him, asking Him to align us with His thinking. Now, if you've never read the book of Praying Life, it is a fantastic book by Paul Miller on prayer. And one of the things that he suggests that makes his book different from other books, is that he says, we're like children to God. He calls us his children, so recognize that. And do what little children do when they talk to their parents. When they come and talk to their parents, the first thing they talk about is whatever is on their mind. They don't come and say, Mom and Dad, what are you thinking about? What is important to you? How can I help you accomplish what it is that you want to do? Your little three-year-old or four-year-old doesn't do that. Now they come and say, oh, I saw this toy. Can I have this toy? It's a rake toy. I think I'd have a lot of fun with this toy. Thank you. Okay. So, so the suggestion is this. Recognize that we're like children. Go to God with wherever you are, with whatever's on your mind, whatever's bothering you or, or the desire you have. Start there. But don't stay there. Then go back and say, okay, God, let me think about you a little bit. Let me remember. Help me to remember all the different ways, all the good gifts you've given me today or yesterday or this week. And then remember to, to say, okay, God, I recognize, like the song says, my heart is prone to wander. Okay, you go after chasing after all my desires. Would you help me bring it back? Focus on you and to see how good you are. God will answer that kind of prayer. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to you today, you tell us to trust you. So Lord, help us. Help us to choose to trust you. Help us to remember how easy it is for us, how natural it is for us to doubt you, to be afraid, to second-guess you, to think that sometimes we know better than you do. Help us to remember not only your power, but your goodness, your love for us. You chose to love us. We don't deserve your love, but you've given it to us. Lord, help us as we live life each day, as we make our plans and, and live life and, and interact with people to hold our plans loosely. Lord, help us every day to embrace our need for you, not to hang our head as we come to you, but as a little child who has many desires and many needs, they don't. It's not a problem for them to ask their parents for things. Help us not to have a problem asking you and to realize that you love us and you made us to need you and you delight in giving us so many good things. And then, Lord, would you help us to change the way we pray so we come to you with things on our mind, we come to you with our needs and desires, but we also take time to thank you and to praise you and to realize that your will, your plan, 
is better than ours. Your plan includes your love for us, how you loved us and reconciled us to yourself, forgave us, rescued us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. So we thank you for your great love. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.